So this morning, Ryan asked me to speak on Advent for him because he's speaking at another church for his dad. <laughs> so um, I said, absolutely. So today, I want to talk to you guys about one of my favorite parts of Christmas, which is the story of the shepherds. So I like to picture, I don't know about you, but I like to picture when I read the Bible. I like to imagine what's going on. And so I imagine these shepherds were doing what they always do every night. They're probably laying around the campfire. They're probably looking at the stars. And they're probably dreaming. And if you were an Israelite back in the day, you knew things that were going to happen because they had prophets and they had stories and they had people throughout their lives saying what was going to happen. And so they knew that someday a savior was going to come and that he was going to be king and that he would change everything. And so I imagine these shepherds were laying around this campfire and they were thinking like, talking out loud even saying, you know, I bet the, I bet the savior, I bet he's going to come and be just like Saul. He's going to be tall. He's going to be handsome. He's going to look like a king. And I imagine another shepherd saying like, no way, man. I bet it's going to be like King David. He's going to be a warrior. He's going to show up. He's going to take out all those Romans, and then we're just going to party all the time. And then I imagine another one saying, like, no, nah, he's probably going to be like Solomon. He's going to be wise and really, really rich. And then all of a sudden, bam, angels out of nowhere. And so, of course, they're terrified. And what do you do when you're terrified? You freeze or you fight or you flee. And so I imagine they're all doing it. Like somebody's covering their face with their bedroll and somebody else is trying to run away. And, um, and the angel says, don't be afraid. And for some reason they're like, okay, good point. I won't. And they, they're looking at this angel and the angel says, because guess what? I have good news. And the good news is great joy. And today in Advent, the focus is joy. Have you tasted it? Do you know what joy is like? Because joy and happiness are like cousins. They're kind of close, but they're not the same thing. And those of us who know joy know that joy goes deeper than just the good stuff. How many of you have known the good stuff? I've spent most of my life in the good stuff. I've been so blessed with a really good family and really good parents. Um, I got to grow up and do so many things. I've been healthy like my whole life. (laughs) And then the last few years that I've been teaching, I've seen um, some of the heaviest darkest stories belong to my students. And, um, and I've seen that, and I've experienced it, and I've experienced the heaviness of their stories because they lay it on me. <laughs> I, uh, I work in an intense program. And, um, and throughout this time, God has filled me with that joy. And so I imagine these shepherds were filled with joy, and, and the angel says, Okay, guess what? The good news is that the Savior's here. And they're like, yes, we were just talking about the Savior. Like, what's he look like? And the angel's like, well, it's not what you imagined. Just go north till you smell it and east till you step in it. Then look in a feeding trough wrapped in some, like, mummy stuff. And that's our Savior. And the shepherds are so excited, they sprint. The NIV says, and with haste, they left. So I imagine these shepherds are like holding up their dress things. They're not dresses, right? They're guys. But they're holding up their skirts, and they're running, and they get to this this little stable, and they look where these cows had just been eating, and they see this little savior, this tiny baby, and they just worship. And Mary and Joseph, it says, they tell Mary and Joseph, 
an angel just told me this is the Savior. And, of course, Mary and Joseph are like, I know, but thank you for saying that. <laughs> this has been so hard to trust him. And Mary's like, it's been so hard, but he said this was happening, and I've trusted him. And so all this trust is building up to this moment where they're seeing the reality of these promises from so long, and they're seeing it in a baby, and they're seeing the hope. And as you guys know, this is a very joyful occasion. It's a very joyful season, but it doesn't stop here. Because Jesus lived, and he lived a life that shows us what life looks like. And when he died on the cross, he killed death. Three days later, came back to life, told us again what life looks like, told us what joy looks like, and then he left us the Holy Spirit. And if there's one present that you think of this holiday season that matters, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, we get that joy of God living within us for the rest of our lives. And the best and most exciting thing about this holiday season is that we get free chances to tell people about Jesus. Because I even watch secular films that say, Christmas is about baby Jesus. So we get to tell people about the true joy that comes from the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we have inside us. So as I pray for us and for Aaron to come up, I ask that you would just pray with me and ask God to fill you with the joy that he died to give us. God, I just thank you for this morning, and I thank you for this church and for the people here. God, I thank you for the joy of the season and the joy of your son. Thank you for sending him. God, I pray that we would just ask in faith that you would show us what this joy is and step out in faith to taste and see and know that you are good. Pray that you would bless Aaron as he speaks. Teach us truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Brittany, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And uh, Kyle, wherever he is, he over there now? And he's working in Project Kids. So he comes and leads us in worship, and then he goes and works in Project Kids. We need more Project Kids workers. Okay. Uh, fan- fantastic and fabulous, and, and it was fun um, having your, your son lead us. And Brittany, thank you so much for that. One of the greatest joys that, that, that I experienced just personally is, you know, we've been doing this for five and a half, going on six years, church project, and it started with just a handful of people, and it continues to grow, and you guys came out in the snow, like, that's crazy, why would you do that, that's awesome, but we're, we're part of a body that's moving together, and I love the fact that, that Kyle would not leave Jeremy alone, like, it's the, it's the church um, coming together and, and serving each other and, and intimately you know, growing up in our gifts that God's given us and, and all coming together as one body. The passage that we're going to talk about today talks about this in a great way. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go through verse 15. And while you're turning there, Bill, the best-looking dude we have in the house, handed out these cards right here when you, when you were coming in. And uh, this is our, our church project Christmas Eve cards. Jeremy, this is a good design. Thanks for these, bud. Um, 
but uh, even, even on what Brittany was saying about sharing the presence of the Holy Spirit and, and enjoying that in our life, this is a great opportunity. I'd encourage you to take these and don't, don't just like drop them and run, <laughs> but build a relationship with someone and say, hey, I love you. Um, and here's a great opportunity to join us for Christmas Eve if you've got nothing going on. And so this is just a fantastic tool for you to invite others to come join us for Christmas Eve. So I... I um, I'm excited for where God has us as a church. Last week, we, we took a pause and, and we talked about what it means to give, um, to tithe, for our tithe and offerings. And, I, and it was fantastic. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to go on the, the podcast and, and listen to that again. Uh, but today, we're jumping right back into our study in Acts. And I liked doing last week, I liked pausing because as we're coming into December, it's the most spendy month of the entire year. Like We, we buy presents. We do all this stuff, and I, and I wanted to remind us that and disciple us again that, that giving is giving back because we know how much we've received from God. And we looked at that passage in 2 Corinthians where this church going through a famine, they, they did not have much, but it was a great joy to provide for the saints as they did the work of the ministry. So I want to remind you as we're moving forward um, through December, especially because next the, we don't meet for two weeks uh, so let's see here, the 24th is Saturday, or su- Saturday, right? So this, this is Saturday night service, so the next day is Sunday, Christmas. We're not meeting on the 25th, all right? And then you can fast forward a week, and uh, New Year's Day is on Saturday night, and I'm not sure how many of you would show up on New Year's Day to come to church on Sunday, so we're not meeting then as well, so we won't meet for two weeks in a row, and hopefully you got the email on that reminding you that we're doing that, but I'll tell you why we're doing that. One, we want you to um, be in relationships. Be in relationships with your family, um, with your friends. Uh, live life on purpose. And so we're saying, hey, listen, those are, those are low times. We'd probably come together as a church. It might be hard for you to come together. So why don't you go be the church somewhere? Why don't, why don't you go do that? Why don't you just invest in the relationships around you? And I'll tell you what, one, one reason that churches don't do that often, quite honestly, is that when you cancel Sunday, people do not give, Right? And so I want to remind you, give. Okay, that's, that's all I've got to say. I want to jump in this passage today because I'm, why I'm really excited to get back into Acts is I think God was doing an incredible thing, and he's still continuing to do an incredible thing in each and every one of us. We're starting to dive into and really experiment and really ask God to show himself to us as a church body in very specific ways. And for some of us, it may be very real new ways as we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And the passage we looked at two weeks ago was at Pentecost. I mean, something happened where the Holy Spirit came down and people started speaking in tongues. Uh-oh, some of you, that just made you a little uncomfortable. This is why I'm so excited what God's doing here. He's pushing us into some new areas. And so if you would, let's, let's read this. And I, I want to pick this apart. I'm excited for this passage because at the end of this, I think what it's going to do for us to see ourselves as part of a global church is incredible. It, it is very easy for us as a church plant, a church that started five, six years ago to focus on us and growing and get so focused on what God's doing here that we forget the 
big picture of what it means for the Catholic universal church at large. So I'm excited for this passage for that reason. Let me read through this, and then let's jump into showing what God has. In verse 5, Acts chapter 2, verse 5, starts and says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. All right, you know what's super impressive? I said all those right. <laughs> I was up this morning practicing it in a mirror. So, all right. High five, Aaron. All right. <clears throat> have you ever been on the street? Have you ever been walking down the street and a big crowd is gathered around something? And you're like, what is that? And you start going and start looking, trying to find what's happening. Something exciting is happening and others are drawn to it. It's a big deal, right? Well, this is what's happening right now in this passage. If you want to look back a little bit and read the first five verses of Acts chapter 2, there's something incredible happening. In verse 5, let's look at it and say, Now there were those dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout. Did you pick that up? Devout men from every nation under heaven. This just because it says devout right here, we know that these are people that are in Jerusalem at this time that are Christ's followers. They're devout men from all nations coming right now under heaven. And so they're devout. So let's go to verse 6. And at, the sound, the, uh, at this sound, the multitudes came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. The two words I really want to look at in verse 6 is sound, if you see that, sound in the multitude. So what is this sound? What is this sound that, that they're drawn to? Well, the sound is either the disciples speaking in tongues, because if you look in the first five verses, the, 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 the Holy Spirit fell on them and they had, they had what looked like flames, a tongue on their head, and they began speaking. So this could be the sound. That people are drawn to. That, that would be an interesting sound, wouldn't it? Okay. A bunch of men <clears throat> suddenly speaking in tongues. So it could be that sound, but we don't want to also throw out the idea that this sound may actually be the sound that just a few verses later, it was the Holy Spirit that came in like a rushing wind. And so it could have been either. It could, maybe it could have been a combination of both. The men speaking in tongues or like a mighty rushing wind as Luke was trying to describe this theophany, like Jesus appearing, God appearing at this time. And so we don't know what the sound was, but man, I wish I heard this sound. Think about what that sound might have sounded like. It sounded so appealing and so exciting that it draws the multitudes Right, multitudes of people start coming. It drew some 3,000 people together that day. 
This has got to be an incredible sound. One of those where you are walking down the street and you see a crowd and everyone's trying to peer over to see what's happening. Like there's an excitement, there's a movement that's happening right here. Well, when we know that it drew a multitude of people, close to 3,000 people on this day, we also have to be logical and think back. Remember a few verses ago, it said that they were meeting in a house together. Okay, so if we want to really start picking apart Scripture, and and hopefully we're we're doing that, we're thinking what God's doing here. What is this house? This house could be a physical house where they met. It might have been the upper room somewhere. It could have been that. Or some theologians think it, it was the temple as well. I kind of like it being in the upper room. I mean, it could be in either place, but I kind of like it being in the upper room. You know why I like to put it there? Because if they're in the upper room, I can picture that. Small, intimate, and all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit comes. But why I like it is because what happens next? Like, how do you get from the upper room in this house to where 3,000 people are gathering? It's not happening here in this house. Like, maybe some of you have houses that can house 3,000 people, but ours would be a little crowded. I don't know about yours. But, so how do you get from there to the only place they could meet there is the temple? And I just got to see that it's kind of a parade that's happening from the house that comes down the stairs. It comes into the street, and it just kind of gathers momentum as it's moving towards the temple, and people are drawn to the sound. Man, that would be a cool moment to be in, wouldn't it? To hear this, to see this, to be part of this. The, the commonality here that, that I like about this sound that's like a mighty rushing wind, about the Holy Spirit coming down on, on these people at this time, the commonality, you can look at it, the first of it starts in verse 6, and you can see that at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were what? They were bewildered. That's a cool word, right? And look what, I want to pick apart some words that just kind of happened through the rest of this passage. They were in verse 6, they were bewildered. And in verse 7, they were amazed and they were astonished. And then you can go down to uh, uh, verse 12 and it says they were amazed and perplexed. So this thing that's happening is enough to bewilder them, to have them amazed, to have them astonished and perplexed. Like this is an attractive, weird, odd spectacular event that's happening right here. And I I like how they're using these words right here. And you've all been in the traffic jam that you didn't know was coming. I-25 is notorious for this, but it's actually kind of small on I-25. I remember living in Miami, and I remember living in Houston. The one in Miami was terrible. Whenever we hit traffic that would stop on the freeway in Miami, it was bad. I didn't have air conditioning. Cars were overheating everywhere. And you might as well just put it in park and turn it off when you got in a traffic jam there. Same thing in Houston. You're like, okay, what happened up there? I've been sitting here for an hour parked on the freeway or just barely going. What happened up there? And as you start inching forward, you realize, oh, someone threw a sock out the window. And everyone's looking at the sock. The, the rubber... <laughs> The rubbernecking, you know, all the rubbernecking caused you to wait for two hours, you know. They're, they're all drawn, and you get there, it's nothing big. But as the crowds are coming here, it's something big that is drawing them together. They are bewildered, they are amazed, they are astonished, they are perplexed, like the Holy Spirit is coming down on them. Now, Jesus had told them this was going to happen. They had told him that he had said, I am here, I am with you, and it's powerful, it's been an awesome ride. However, I'm going to send something more powerful. I thank God that he did that. Because God did that, Kyle sang today. 
Like Jesus had all the power in the world to say, I'm the man, I got this under control, I don't need any of y'all. I like saying that. I don't need you. But he said, I, I'm the man, I've got all the power, and I'm going to empower you, church, to go be the church. It's going to be perplexing. It's going to be astonishing. You're going to be bewildered. It's going to be amazing. But I am empowering you to go spread this love message to the world. And I like that we can look up 2,000 years later and we're being led by your son. Like we're all part of the church and we're all doing some incredible things today. When, let's, let's look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own native language? When we looked at the previous passage, the first five verses, I encouraged us two weeks ago to dig into the term called Golosia. And the word Golosia, if you begin to look at it in, in theology and begin to study that, that's the study of speaking in tongues. And so I, I'll spell it for you because Perman gave me an ugly look. Okay, Golosia is spelled this G L O S S O. L-A-I-A, and you begin to study that and research that, and it's the study of tongues. Speaking in tongues is something you will encounter as a Christian. You will encounter it. If you haven't encountered it, you will encounter it at some point in your Christendom life as you journey forward. It's something that you're going to encounter. Some of you, you're going to experience it secondhand. Some of you, you're going to maybe experience it personally. But you cannot be a Christian and walk in Christian world without encountering at least the concept of what it means to be speaking in tongues. And so it's, it, I think it would be astute, I think it would be great for you to, to dive in and start studying what this looks like. So glossia is the act of speaking in a language that is either incomprehensible or at least unknown to the speaker. That, that's what that means. And it's a, it's a brilliant study. Now I want to remind us that it's not evidence of spirituality. Speaking in tongues is not evidence of spirituality. I grew up Baptist. I went to a weird church in Miami for a while. To, and it was a place where, and maybe some of you have experienced this, and, so, and this is some of my deepest church hurt. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I loved God. I thought everything was all good until I went to this church, and they were saying, you don't speak in tongues. You must not be spiritual. And I'm like, well, well I... Uh, I thought I loved God. And, and it was like, you need to speak in tongues because that's the evidence of your spirituality. It's like a, a higher level. And I want to be clear, that is not the case. That is not the case. Every believer is baptized in the Spirit. So as soon as you confess Jesus Christ is Lord and you're baptized, you are baptized in the Spirit. You already have that Spirit. However, not all believers will have the gift of speaking in tongues. And I want to give you verses for that. 1 Corinthians 12, 30. And so I want to remind us that because as we begin, some of us can fantasize. And we've, we've seen this happen in church, especially in America. Some of us can get so focused on glossia that, that we want that. We desire that. And, and, and we don't feel like we're spiritual unless we have that. And I want to say that's not the case. As Christians, we already have the Spirit of God. Some of us, though, some of us may have the gift of speaking in tongues. Beautiful. Tongues for me has been a prayer language, intimate, quiet, and I don't think you'll ever hear me speaking in tongues. I won't say you won't, because I don't know what God will do. 
but I don't think you ever will. It's a private thing that happens with Aaron Havens, and that's a different kind of thing that's happening there. So I want, I want to reset that, and I want to talk about that a little bit. That's what Golosia is, but that's not what's happening in this passage. See, what's happening in this passage is another fancy word, and I'll spell it for you, Jason Perman. It's, ex, it's exenoglosia. It's X-E-N-O-G-L-O-S-S-I-A. This is a whole different kind of tongue. This is the ability to speak a fluent language that the speaker has never learned. Now, it's a fluent language that the speaker has never heard, but someone else knows exactly what it is. That's what's happening in this passage. See, because people are coming from all around the region, and what is happening, they begin to hear something that they didn't know. The masses knew that these people here were Galileans, if you look in verse 7. They were all amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? They knew that they were all Galileans. How did they know? Maybe because their dialect, maybe because their accent. Maybe it's kind of like you know if someone's from down south, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just know, you're like, oh, you must be from down south somewhere. Maybe it's the same kind of thing. They're all from the same region. They're saying they're Galileans, right? I mean, they all got that southern draw, right? But how come I can hear my own language that's nowhere near the south? And what we begin to see here is the powerful, uh, powerful thing of what God is doing right here. So now let's get a little nerdy. And I, I love this one. By the way, when I say let's get a little nerdy, I'm not making fun of the nerds because I am the nerd. Okay, so I, lo- I love this part. So on verse 9, I'm not going to bore you with pronouncing these, but what I actually want to do is I want to put up a map. Do we, Seth, do we have that map back there, Kale? Mm. Yeah. So I'm a little jealous because two weeks ago, Bill and Jeannie were right there, right? Jerusalem, Israel, like having fun, drinking margaritas. No, you weren't doing that, but this... I put, this up, I put this up on purpose and on reason, for, for reasons of, let's, let's begin to look through what God says. I, I, the people that we're talking about here, I'm going to come over here. So it starts and it says, just follow along in verse 9. I don't have a pointer, but you can see it right there. The Parthians and the Medes, they're, they're right there. You see the Medes up top. Uh, the Elamites, where, where are they? Oh, they must be way over here, somewhere over there, like Okay, the Mediterranean Sea's over there. Jerusalem's right there. Okay, uh, you begin, and, and, and it kind of moves. It goes up to Cappadocia, Pygria, up there, Pontus. Then it gets over to Crete, gets into Egypt. It gets into North Africa, all over here. And so this is the area right here. And, and, and I want to keep this up for a little bit as we're talking about this because I think God has got something important for all of us. And remember, I started in saying that it's easy for us to get so focused on us that we forget this is a worldwide thing. Like, what we're talking about right here is 10,000 square miles. This passage right here, 10,000 square miles. But in the whole grand scheme of the earth, it's just a small, little, tiny place. And most of where Jesus spent his life was in this little region, just 
just right here. Like this is, this is like where Jesus spent his life, most of his life right there in that little region. And yet all of history points back to that. And, and everything stems from that place. So if you ever have the opportunity to actually go to Israel, go to Jerusalem and visit it, take me along with you. I want to go too. Like to be there and to see that and to smell that. I'm a little jealous of you guys, but I'm, I'm so glad you got to go. We see here, uh, let's look through this passage in verse 9. It says the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the Mesopotamian, the, the Judah. And, and Cappadocia. The, the first area right there, this is known as the Fertile Crescent. Uh, the, so the Parthians, the Medes, and the Elamites, that's known as the Fertile Crescent. And if you go there, that's, that's a luscious area, a comparative for a desert. It's a luscious area that's beautiful. And then it, then it goes and it says Judea. So Judea, the first ones, we get it. They're talking about all that over there. But then it talks about Judea, and it talks about Jerusalem specifically, where they're at right there. And so why in this would they mention Judea? Why are they surprised that they're, that they're speaking in Aramaic? Well, this is a little confusing if you want to get into studying. Um, some people say, theologians say, that they use Judea as, as, as like a reference to bigger things because, they, of course, they're speaking a language. That's where they're at right now. So why would they be concerned that they're speaking this different language? And so other theologians have said that it's Armenian or Syria or India. Then we can continue on to other places, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, that's North Africa. By the way, Mark was the first missionary to Africa. Jesus fled to Africa from King Herod. Africa has sent missionaries to America. Let's get a bigger picture here. This isn't just an American religion, is it? It's a bigger religion. And then if you want to look on the top left, people came all the way from Rome as well. So 10,000 square miles all came down to that Judea area, Jerusalem right there. That's where they're at. And in Rome, why people came from Rome and why people came from all around to get to this place right now was that all males were coming to a, in, in a Jewish pilgrimage. So they were coming as a Jewish pilgrimage. You still with me? Okay, go to verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes. We're still in the nerd section. I love the nerd section. Both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are Gentiles that have been converted to Judaism. So they're not Jews, they're Gentiles, so they're not by blood Jews, they're Gentiles, and they've been um, converted over to Judaism. In order to do that, they had to have circumcision, yikes, they, they had to have baptism, and they, and they have to offer at the temple in Jerusalem. And so all you, it mentions here the proselytes, because why? They're coming all the way from Rome. They're coming from, from Elium over there. They're coming all around to Jerusalem. Why? Because they're on a, a, a pilgrimage, and they're coming together to worship God. This, I'll stop with the map stuff. You, we can keep it up there if you want. This is not an American religion. Though it's cute, our baby Jesus is white and maybe has gauges in his ears now or something because time is growing, right? Though it's cute, and you go to other parts of the country and and it looks like the people that you're in in that country. I want to keep saying this because this passage of what's happening right now is very symbolic to the reversal of what happened in the Tower of Babel. 
You see, what happened in the Tower of Babel? God looked at man, and man was getting proud and thought they could do it better than God. And God, the, the Tower of Babel separated. And you see what happens right now at the Tower of Babel. People going like this, boom, because their language was confused. And now we get to this point where Jesus had then come and lived and died and rose from the dead and said, I'm all good, but I'm sending you something more powerful, the Holy Spirit. And what is the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Boom. The Holy Spirit is bringing people back together again. Believers are no longer separated by nationality, nor by language. This is powerful, church. The Spirit of the Lord draws His people together. Why do you think we can gather on Sunday morning so many different people from so many parts of life, so many different ages and stages and social economical statuses? How can God bring us all together? The same way He brought the people from Rome together and the people from Ilium together and North Africa together, and there was a common language being spoken. And it's the beautiful thing that God is drawing His believers back together again. The Spirit of the Lord always draws His people together. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever walked in that? If not, just go with April to Haiti. And you'll be sitting with someone who's speaking Creole. And if you're like me, you'll accidentally answer in Spanish because you're confused. (laughs) And when you're sitting there going, and trying to talk, your spirits are still drawn together. You can see it in the smile. You can pick it up. Like you just know. Like the Spirit of the Lord always draws His people together. It's our filters and our experiences are the ones that pushes people away. It's our prejudices that pushes people away. The Spirit of the Lord is drawing together all the time. And, and the Christian that is focused in on what God is doing is looking and realizing that we are one body. Without color, without status, males, females, Jews, Gentiles, God is doing His thing. And this is the way that He chose, us, chose to do it. Through His Holy Spirit. Isn't this passage a beautiful passage? Like this is the beginning of what you get to see. We're still experiencing thousands of years later. Wouldn't it be cool to be back in that passage for the first time? Wouldn't it be cool to be walking through the streets and a sound like a mighty rushing wind happening and people drawn together and Jesus just being very symbolic, God being symbolic, bringing all these people together. Wouldn't that be awesome? And we still get to experience that today. Wherever we go in the world, His Spirit is drawing people together. Well, what what brings people together? And if you look at your verse right there, what brings them together? At the end of verse 11, so both Jews and the proselytes, the Creatives, the Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues what brings them together? The mighty works of God. The mighty works of God is what is bringing everyone together. And then let's move to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And in verse 13, I hate when there's 
buts in the Bible. Sometimes the buts are good. But I look at this verse 13 and I'm like, if you got a butt like this, don't shake it around, okay? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Isn't this just, haven't you just experienced this in your own life? Like something new and exciting and perplexing and bewildering is happening. God is showing you something new. Like you're, you're moving forward. And then we get to 13 and the big butts show up. And they begin to say, no, no, no. And they begin to say, look at verse 13. But others mocking. Of course, Satan wants to distract from the very beginning. He wants to kill before it even matures. He wants you to drink that wine while it still tastes like sugar. Like, he he wants to take you out from the very beginning. And already in verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Basically, people are looking and they're saying, they're drunk. We'll talk about that later. Because we're ending today on verse 13. Others mocking said, they're drunk. We fear what we don't know. Yeah, it's true. We fear what we don't know. There's a lot of people scared right now, even in America. Let's put it in our North American context. A lot of people are scared right now. What's happening? What's happening in our government? What's happening? What's ha- along? I mean, we just see fear every time you turn on the TV, every time you go onto the internet, any, any social media. You see fear everywhere that you look. We fear what we don't know. And I can see people. I, I can see myself, actually. I don't want to be so harsh on the people that were looking and saying, they're drunk. I've actually done that in my own life. I've looked upon people where God may be doing something new, but, you know, doesn't fit with my, my Baptist upbringing, so you must be drunk. Nope, that can't. God's not doing that because I know God better than you do. We're quick to judge the people in verse 13 but we do it all the time because we may see something and we may fear it because it's something unknown to us. It bewilders us. It amazes us. It perplexes us. Christians, may we not be a people that the first thing we do is mock others, especially those in the body of Christ that we believe God is, is coming on them and, and we know that God has given them their spirit because if we've ever asked Christ into our heart and we've given our life, we have the same spirit Jesus did. And so when someone, when something starts happening in Peter that's different than what I'm used to, how, how, how I mean, why would I go and start mocking that? Why wouldn't I think that God is doing something new and fresh through Peter and he's going to grow and lead and teach me and us, our church? We see this portion right here and we know that we can trust God. Do not fear when he moves in new ways in your life. Some of you, maybe that's the only thing that you're going to pull away from today. Do not fear when he moves in new ways in your life. Though it may complex you and perplex you, and it may be odd and it may be weird and it may be strange, trust that God has got good things for you and he's going to take you as far as he wants to take you. What the mockers said, right here in verse 13, if you want to look at it, but others mocking said, blah, 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 blah. Who cares what they said? We've all experienced mockers in our own life. 
The people were something where God was doing something beautiful in us, and the critics showed up and said, blah, 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 blah. One of a thousand things you could have said right there. It doesn't matter what you said right there. You're coming against what God is doing in my life. You're coming against what God is doing. And so it doesn't matter what excuses you're putting right here. One of my favorite quotes, and and, and you... I won't do the whole thing, is, it is, it's not the critic that counts. It's the one that's in the fight doing it. Teddy Roosevelt, remember that one? That's Teddy Roosevelt, yeah, right? Okay, it's not the critic that counts. It's the one that's in the fight actually fighting. And so when the naysayers come and when the critics come, blah, 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 blah. That's what I pray we hear. Church, this is a word for us. I'm, I've come to realize the last couple years that I really do have uh, a bit of a gift that I'm asking God to continue to grow in me and to mature in me. And that's the, the gift to just kind of look forward a little bit and have words where it's like, okay, God, I know what you're saying and I know where you're taking us. And so I'm growing in this. And I have a word for us, church. We get to verse 13. It says, but others mocking said they are filled with the new wine. And church, here's the word that I have for me personally on a deep level because I have, I have mocked people where God has been doing new things in their life. But North American church at large, we have done this as well. We have mocked the spirit, I think, to the point that he goes, really? Okay, we have quenched the church. The church has quenched the Holy Spirit. The North American church, and this is the word for us right now, North American church has quenched the spirit. And we need to repent of that. Why is there so many signs and wonders and incredible things happening in countries that have nothing? Why? Because they're hanging on to the Holy Spirit with all their might. They're not saying, hey, Holy Spirit, we got this. I got a 401k. I don't need you. Do you need to repent from quenching the Holy Spirit in your life? America does. And God is really putting on my heart in deep ways that we're going to lead the charge in this church. God is doing new things right now in our hearts and in church project that if we don't blah, 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 and we don't quench the Spirit, He's going to continue to show us new things and take us into the unknown, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be organized, and it's going to be lovely, and it's going to be awesome. So I would say this. Please don't say blah, 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 blah. Please don't mock what God is doing. Because all God is doing, by the way, and I painted this picture and showed the map. All God is doing, by the way, when he's doing new things with us, is catching us up to speed with the Catholic church at large. God is already moving in powerful, powerful ways. He's just showing us one step at a time, us individually, Church Project Greeley, what it means to grow in stature, what it means to trust Him, what it means to be, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And all that means is our little church, Church Project, is catching up to speed for what He's doing in the world already. Church, I want to be a place that in Greeley, Colorado, is a place that's known for God doing some incredible things here. 
a people that's deeply, deeply invested in community and care about each other and throw block parties at Halloween. I know, sacrilegious, but a lot of fun, right? And, and people that are serving and loving. And by the way, we got to experience this this last week. People with, that even when there's families in need within our own body, we show up in the masses to serve them and love them. Like we're going to be a generous people that repent from quenching the Holy Spirit and ask God to move in our lives. And when he moves in our lives, he moves in our church. When he moves in our church, he moves in our city. When he moves in our city, let's stop. You know where it goes. May we be bewildered, amazed, astonished, perplexed, as we say, Spirit, lead me to trust you without borders. God, I pray for us today. God, on behalf of of the church at large, we repent from quenching your spirit. God, you are God and you can move in ways that are complexing and perplexing and amazing and astonishing. And God, we hold out our hands and say, God, please forgive us for areas in our own life where we've said, oh no, God, you can't move in that way. And as a church, God, we repent and say, God, have your way with us. Do your thing with us. Let us not get in your way. Move in new ways. Catch us up to the rest of the world of what you are doing in the the church at large, God. And God, I pray, powerful prayer of asking even today that today would be a day we all look back on and we can say something happened on that snowy Sunday morning for a handful of people that came out on a Sunday message and that was the beginning of something new in all of us. That was the beginning of greedy changing. That was the beginning of God, you moving in the hearts and lives of your church to move in in Greeley, Colorado and northern Colorado in powerful, powerful ways. God, I want to pray over our city. Our city is in pain and our city is in hurt. God, we can see it when we drive down the streets. We can read about the pain and we can read about the, the hurt in the newspapers and Facebook. We can talk with the pain as we go to work and school. Satan's at work in Greeley, in the surrounding areas. God, I ask and I proclaim no more. Would you forgive us as the church of Greeley for quenching your spirit? May you continue to pour new things on us, God that aren't actually new, but they're new to us. And may we begin to accept those and walk in those and proclaim those in the streets and the spaces and the places that we go. May we be your church. May we begin to physically see change in Greeley. May Greeley be a place that's heard about around all of America of something that's happening in Greeley, Colorado because the church has come alive and we're seeing, we're seeing government working with the church. We're seeing things happening in the church. We're seeing people's lives change. We're seeing addictions broken. Like, God, I don't know what's going to happen when we begin to walk in this, but I declare that we're going to walk in this, God. 
for anyone that is sitting in here today. And you don't know what God has for your life. Would you just encounter him in this moment and just say, God, show yourself to me. You may actually have hurt from church or Christians in your background. Would you forgive that and those? And not let that be a chain that just pulls you from moving forward? Some of us, we need to to get rid of our past. Forget about that hurt. That's done. That's over with. It will forever change us. But the reality is, some of that hurt and some of that quenching of the Spirit is keeping us from going one step further. We will forever eternally be stuck here unless we choose to cut that chain and say, God, do a new thing in my life. So some of us today, right now in this place, just hold out your hands and say, God, please forgive me for being stuck right here. I ask that you move in my life, that I can begin walking and running forward in freedom, being a part of a church that loves, not quenches, a church that gives hope, not blah, blah, blah. God, I pray your spirit over each and every one of us today.